0: Sorry I showed up a little bit early. Speaking of awkward, what do you do when you show up in the middle of the song, you know? I guess I could have stood up here like I knew what I was doing, Um, but that would have been bad. So um, thank you for being so patient. I I actually am really fired up about what we're talking about today. So open your Bible to the book of Galatians. That's where we're going to be studying from today. I don't know about you, but I've always been mesmerized and fascinated by World War II. Because it seems to be the battle between good and evil, between light and darkness. It's just so dramatic. I'm haunted, though, by some of the images. If you get on Netflix and you watch from World War II, I'm haunted by those images of the Holocaust. That so many people that, you know, man could become so evil that he wants to destroy a whole group of people from the face of the earth and comes close. You've probably seen this picture of the opening there to Auschwitz. The sign says in German, Arbeit macht frei. What it says in our language is, work makes free. It was a big lie. It was to give false hope to the Jewish people dropped off on those trains and marched through that gate. That if you just come in here and you work hard enough, you'll be free. But he could not keep them from the gas chambers. That's also a big lie for us spiritually. That God says to us, if you'll just work hard enough, if you'll do enough, if you'll love enough, if you'll serve enough, that you can be free from your problem of sin. That somehow, if my good works outweigh my bad deeds, that I'm gonna be okay with God. That if I just will work, that I'll be okay. But that's what the book of Galatians is all about. It's about how are you right with God? How do you get in right standing? All of us have a problem because we're sinners. We're condemned to die. How does that change? We started this last week, I want to go back to some passages we looked at last week that Paul puts it extremely clearly. Let's start in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says this, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet you, we know that a person is made right with God. How are you made right with God? By faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. It's not law-keeping. It's grace through faith. Look at what he says later in chapter 2, verse 21. For no one will ever be made right. Excuse me, I'm in the wrong place. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Look at the next verse then. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God. There would be no need for Christ to die. What a challenging verse. Look, look at the way he puts it in, in chapter 3. I love this. Let me ask you this one question. Paul's exasperated. Got You've you got to answer this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? See, that's the, the challenge here. Are we made perfect by God's grace or by our own effort? And then he nails it really hard at the end of the, close to the end of the book in chapter 5. He says, if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Paul cannot make it clear that we're saved by grace through faith, not saved by grace plus law through works. That's the contrast of the book. Are you saved by grace through faith? The simple gospel. Are you saved? Because of grace plus law that ends up in the works. Now, what Paul would say, and what the Judaizing teachers would would try to say, is this doesn't sound very different. I mean, just a little bit of addition. I mean, Paul, we've been being circumcised for years and years and years for centuries. Can we not just put that in here still as Christians? It reminds me of what happened in Chicago years ago in the great Tylenol debacle. Some cruel person broke into some convenience stores. They had Tylenol capsules. He bought the capsules. They didn't have the safety caps back then. And so he took the cotton out, took the capsules out, added cyanide to the item, And, And before long, people went and bought them. Seven people died. It looked exactly the same. It only had one additional ingredient, but it was Deadly. And what Paul's trying to say in Galatians is it may not look that different, but you add this one ingredient and it's spiritually deadly. So as, as, as Nathan said earlier, Paul's in a fighting mood. Reminds me of the old cigarette ad. I'd rather fight than switch. You remember those? All these ads, these people with their blackened eye because somehow they were that committed and Paul is that committed. He's going to fight, guys. I mean, the book of Galatians... One author calls it a bad-tempered letter. Paul's in a bad mood. He doesn't even try to cover it up. I mean, think, an inspired book of the Bible. You wouldn't have some of this language. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 20 says, Guys, I sure wish I could change my tone. I know my tone's bad. I know I'm being rough on you guys. But this is too important for me to change my tone. And so often he actually uses some rather offensive language. I'm going to quote to you chapter 5, verse 12. And if it weren't in the Bible, you'd be mad at me. But here's what Paul says to people. They're trying to add circumcision to the grace of God. Hey, guys, as long as you're doing this, I wish you'd just go ahead and emasculate yourself. Can you imagine if you got a landmark email? I know you don't give me any of those. And it says, message from Buddy." And I go, you know, there's some problems going at church and some people are causing some troubles. I just wish they'd go ahead and castigate themselves. (laughs) What would you do? How many phone calls would you get? That'd be worse than standing on the stage at the wrong time. I mean, tell people to castigate themselves. My goodness. But Paul is so fired up about this. So we got two parts of our lessons today. Paul is shouting truth. And the critics are whispering lies. We're going to look at both of those. First, Paul shouting truth. And I'm asking you as you, you take notes on this to make sure that you put it in all caps. All caps. Look at Galatians 6, 1 through 4. Here, here's the, the passage we begin with. Not too bad the first four verses. Paul, an apostle, sent not by men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ. I love, I love the The books of the Bible. You don't have to thumb to the end to know who wrote it, right? You ever got a letter like, who in the world wrote this? Let me find the signature. They start off with that. And Paul's wanting them to know, real quickly, I'm not speaking from Paul, I'm speaking as an apostle, a chosen one of God who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Oh, this is the nicest thing he's going to say. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the, e- the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. Oh, what a great, great passage there. Paul is shouting this truth. I mean, do you, you recognize? I didn't recognize for a long time. If you all caps, an email or text message, what that means is you're screaming. Anybody ever done that? I mean, I just like typing with all caps. It was easier. So I guess I was just screaming these things to people. Well, Paul is screaming. He's shouting. So take these, take these notes in caps. Here's four words that we're going to see. First of all is the word rescued. Uh, that, that's the good news. That's Paul's description of the gospel, that Jesus became a substitute for us to rescue us from our place of sin. He says you are trapped in this evil world, and he's come to rescue you. You know, we can think of different images of rescue. Maybe you're in the Gulf of Mexico and you're pulled under the water by some current and somebody's brave enough and strong enough to come pull you out of that. Or maybe you're in a burning building and you don't know how to get out, but someone who knows the building is able to crawl under the, the smoke and, and rescue you. You go, wow, that's, that's great stories. But the story that David so effectively told us earlier is much more like the gospel. It's those two men that look so much alike who love that woman and the man loves her enough to sneak in the prison and change clothes and allow the husband to be free while he is executed. We might tell it in light of our beginning here. Maybe you're in Auschwitz in that concentration camp and you've seen the smoke and you've heard you smelled the flesh, and you know you're next. And you look at the gate, and one day a well-dressed, manicured German officer walks in. And to your surprise, he walks straight to you. And when he gets to you, he says, follow me. And you follow him in some hut, and he says to you, quickly, do what I do. And he begins to unbutton and to take off his uniform. And he asks you to take off your prisoner's garb. And you take it off and then you swap. And he puts on your prisoner's garb and you put on the officer's uniform. And his last words to you are get out of here as quick as you can. And so you nervously march back, march back past that gate with that lie on top that work makes free. And you go as quickly as you can, but you look back and you know the fate of that German officer is that he will be incinerated. And my friends, that's the rescue story that we have here in Galatians. That we're in that bad a shape that Jesus comes and takes our place as a substitute to give us light. Now keep reading. Keep reading in verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be under God's curse. If you didn't hear it, Paul says, let me tell you again. As we have already said, so I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be accursed. Let's add some more bold words. We got the word rescued, we got the word astonished. Paul said, I'm just, it is unbelievable to me. That after being saved by grace, you are now walking back through those gates for a perverted gospel. The next word you should write down there is reverse. Because that's what the word pervert means. It means to reverse something. It means to turn it into something that it wasn't. And Paul says, despite the fact they're still labeling this a gospel, it is no gospel at all. What would have saved you with just this added ingredient will condemn you. You ever, you know, reach the refrigerator to get some cold milk, you know, and you're so excited about it, and you poured the glass, and then you drank it, and it had soured. It had turned into something completely different. And it was repulsive. Or maybe in your life, you were, you know, a dad, and, and you decide, I want to have a family devo. Okay, so you bring all the kids and your wife and the den, you know, you cut the TV off and you say, we're going we're gonna to study God's word. You ever done that and it turned into disaster? You know, anybody, just raise your hand if you're honest here. And the kids weren't listening, and they're running around, and you're trying to get control, and finally, you just lose your temper. It's like, we're going to study the Bible right now. And before long, what you meant to be a unifying, wonderful family moment that made you closer to God and closer to each other turned into something that actually made you further apart. That's the kind of word Paul's using. The intent has been reversed. The good news has now become bad news. You see, because a, Paul is contrasting a law system and a grace system. A law system says you do it right and you'll live. A law system says if you got it right, you're going to be right with God. The problem with the law system is if you break one law, you're guilty of the whole law. And, and, and so, I'm just going to tell you right now, guys, a law system is not good news to you. It's not good news to me. If it's like I was raised, you get 100 theological issues right and you get one wrong and you're lost, that's not good news. Paul says, don't go back to that law system. The only good thing it did is it revealed to you that you needed grace. Stick with this grace system that says you're saved not on the basis of your performance, you getting every theological issue right or every behavioral issue right. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. And so Paul says, don't let the gospel be reversed. You say, buddy, help me out here now the book of James James says Jesus' brother says faith without works is dead so how do you put that together some people actually believe that Paul and James contradict each other in fact someone as famous as Martin Luther thought James did not belong in the Bible because it was contradicting he believed the gospel of grace I think those two things can be reconciled because they're talking about two different things. Paul in Galatians is talking about justification, just as if it never happened, being right with God. James is talking about the result of justification. What what, what Paul is saying is, this is what saves you. And what James is saying, man, if you've been saved, if you really got faith, it's going to show up somewhere. When he's saying faith without works is dead, he's not trying to say faith and works are equal. It's faith and works. It's faith or works. He's, he's not doing a con. He's saying when you have real trust in Jesus, it's faith that works. But never put works on the same level of faith. It's just evidence of faith. You can't trust Jesus and it not come out. It's like some of you, they're hunters, and you, any of you deer hunt? Any of you ever shot a deer? <laughs> I don't know these deer hunters. They never shoot deers. They just talk about it all the time. Well, guys, let me ask you. If you're out deer hunting, and you see some evidence, there's a deer, you, you see some tracks. Does that excite you like you've seen a deer? Pull your shotgun out. Boom! Let me shoot those tracks. Man, I love those tracks. i in mean, frame them, and... Put them up on the wall, man, at home. No, 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 no. It's good to see them because it tells you there is a deer somewhere in Alabama. You might never hit it, but it's a deer somewhere in Alabama. But it's not the deer. And when James talks about works, he's not saying, oh man, celebrate your works. What he's saying is it just simply shows that you've got some faith. So Paul is astonished that they would go back. And guys, here's how serious he is. He said, if anybody does this, Anybody who teaches this, he says, including me, or even an angel from heaven. Isn't it amazing how many false pieces of theology in our country today come from people teaching angels said it? Paul warns us. He says, if I, any man, any angel teaches anything different than the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's our next word, put it in caps, CURSED. Some translations say, ETERNALLY CONDEMNED. The best translation for you and I is, if you do that, you're going to hell. This is serious business to Paul. In fact, I I would put it this way if you read through the book of Galatians. I've been reading it over and over again. Paul basically says there's two ways to lose your salvation. Number one is to try to earn it. He says, if you go back to the law system and you try to earn your salvation, you have fallen from grace. To fall from grace means you've been in grace. You can't fall from something you're not in. And then in chapter 5, he will also say, when you go into rebellious, sinful behavior, he says, if you begin to practice, if you decide, you know, God, I don't care what you said about these things. I'm just going to live this way. He said, people like that, he's writing Christians, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So Paul's being strong here. Now here's our next section. We'll get through this pretty quickly. What are the critics whispering? Someone said, if you want people to believe something, all you've got to do is whisper it. That's the power of gossip, my friends. Gossip is so deadly for a church. And that's what's happening in these churches in Galatia. Is, is these teachers have come in they're starting to gossip about Paul and they're starting to spread rumors and people are believing it and everything is like Paul said in chapter 1 everything's become confused. And one thing I love about the Landmark Church is this is the most gossip-free church I've ever been in. I've been in church where there's always something going with somebody. I think the next 2 months as we tackle some difficult issues it's going to be a test of or are we going to be a gossip-free church? Are we going to think the best of each other or are we going to question each other? What are some of the things they're whispering? Number one, Paul is not who he claims to be. If you can't defeat the message, criticize the messenger. What they're saying is, Paul, we know you say all this good stuff, but you're not really an apostle. I mean, you're not one of the original twelve. And that that's why it's almost embarrassing how much Paul has to defend himself if you'll read through the book of Galatians. He basically says, guys, first of all, God's the one who appointed me apostle, and I didn't even meet these other guys till years later. It's not them. I'm an apostle on my own. So one thing you'll see when people want to dispute the gospel of grace, it's easier to question the messenger. And the messenger's motives than to actually listen to the message. Number two, here's what they begin to whisper Paul is trying to please people. He's watered down the truth, he's taken circumcision out because all Paul cares about are numbers. He just wants more and more people to come. I mean, you see that. You see, man, if, in our fellowship, guys, over the last years, if a church grows, they become suspect. If a church remains status quo, they're okay. Isn't that weird? So if a church starts reaching people like drug addicts and people with terrible sexual pasts and people who've been divorced and people with all kinds of addiction issues, people start saying, well, that church down the road, man, they're just compromising the truth. It's almost like we're saying, if we really preach the truth, nobody would be attractive. Well, that's true if you're preaching law because it's not good news. That's not true if you're preaching grace. And Paul basically says, if I wanted to be popular, I'm telling you dudes, this is not what I'd be standing up for. I could be popular with everybody back in Jerusalem if I just say what you wanted me to say. And I'll say personally, I've never got in trouble for preaching law, but I've gotten written up for preaching grace. Isn't that crazy? Number three, it's better to be safe than sorry. I mean, come on, Paul, just budge a little bit here, man. I mean, why don't we just be safe about this and, and keep circumcision and the law included? I mean, we've been doing this for centuries. I mean, the law has been the law of God. I mean, how in the world can you say you're not saved by law? Hadn't you heard that all your own? I remember hearing the messages. Safety first. And I've heard it used from every new thing in the church. You start singing devotional songs in they like, we call them praise songs now. Before that, we called them devotional songs. And before that, we called them camp songs. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man, these new songs. Man, the only songs that really praise God were written in the 16th century. All right? Yeah. Now, God couldn't inspire people to write music now. And guys, I like both of them. But listen to me, it's not what we're saying. People say, you know what, Um, man, these churches, they're stopping doing Sunday night services and they're starting to put people in small groups, you know, and you you know that's got to be wrong. Really? Well, we have no example in Scripture of people going twice on a Sunday, but we have all kinds of examples of people meeting in homes. The sad thing is when you start thinking like a legalist, the status quo is always right, and anything different is always wrong. And sometimes, my friend, it's not right or wrong. Different is just different. And and, and let me say this. Who are we trying to be safe from? Better safe. Safe from God? Is that really your view of God, that he's looking for some loophole, some misunderstanding to condemn you? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, you're saved because how good God is, not how good you are. My friends, the gospel says, you've got direct access to God. You don't have to be scared of God. And you've been saved, and you've got this open access to God, and now you're free to go out and serve and love others. And there's one other thing that they whispered in Galatians, and they'll still whisper today. Where in the world will this lead us? If you can't condemn an issue biblically, well, then you always ask them. It's just a slippery slope. You, you, You take this one little step. I heard about all those things I talked about earlier. And right now, by some words I hear from people, mostly not in this church, but around town is... If a church were to worship with musical instruments, the next step is they're going to embrace every kind of deviant sexual behavior that's out there. Just that, that's certainly an immediate step, you know. After you've done this, you're going there. My friends, I'm telling you, what we desire in this church is to be more biblical, not less biblical. And when, when, when you stand up for the things that are crystal clear in Scripture, you're able to deal with the things that aren't. And you don't go down some slippery slope to something Paul would say is actually false and condemning. Let me tell you where this led Paul if we're talk about where it leads us. Here's how it led Paul. It led Paul to believe the message is unchanging and the methods are ever-changing. Paul is so fired up in this letter. He makes us uncomfortable even with his language. But he's so mad because if they change the message... Nobody can be saved because the old message won't work. And if they won't be flexible in approaches, nobody will be reached. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. What are you saying, Paul? I'm completely inflexible with the gospel. I'm completely flexible with the methods. Why? Because when Christianity was birthed on this earth, it was not meant like Judaism to be temporary. It was meant to last until the end of the age. It wasn't meant just to reach one specific culture. It was meant to reach every culture on the face of the earth. And that means it's going to have to be adaptable, not in the message, but in the methods. You want to begin to change the landmark churches about 30 years ago when some of you guys had the courage to go downtown and say, we want to reach people downtown in this inner city church. And you woke up a couple years later and went, you know what? That church downtown doesn't look like landmark out here at east. They're doing some things different. Their worship style is a little bit different. And they're actually reaching some people. And here we are in this beautiful new building out here in East Montgomery. And we're just fighting about nicky nacky things. And we're not reaching anybody. We're still being 1950 church and it's not connecting. And so you had some leaders gutsy enough to say, we're going to have to change our methods, not the message, to reach a different culture. And that is the freedom found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Paul wants you to know we can't change the message, but we have to change the methods when they're effective in reaching people. You see, here's what Paul's trying to say Guys, after being freed by Christ, don't walk back through those gates. It's a false message. works bring freedom you you can keep it good enough you can do good enough paul says man how in the i'm just astonished he said my mind is blown that after you've experienced this freedom in christ and the joy of being a christian now you're walking back into this legalism that never gave anybody any hope And i want to ask you today have you been tempted to walk back through those gates as many of us, this is what I find in my life. Two things. Number one, when I first became a Christian and I came out of the water of baptism, I had no doubt I was saved. I was so fired up and so full of joy. But the longer I lived and I still had sin to deal with and still problems, I began to doubt my salvation. Isn't that crazy? I'm more saved here than I am ten years later after I've still been following Jesus. That's not the gospel. You're just as saved today if you're still following Jesus as you were the moment you came out of that water. And then sometimes we struggle with the fact that here's what I can do. Man, I love you guys. And you come to me and you tell me you've really screwed your life up. And I say, if you ask God for forgiveness and you say, oh man, the moment I did it, I asked for forgiveness, but I'm still so guilty. And here's what I'm going to say to you. You are forgiven You're forgiven so wonderfully that God not only has forgiven you, he's forgotten it. Here's what I find. Maybe you find it. I can do that for you, but I have a real hard time doing that for me. I can apply the gospel of grace to all you guys real easily, but when it comes to my own life, because I'm so aware of my own sinfulness and fallenness in this fallen world, sometimes I don't give it to myself. And today, I want you to know this is not just theoretical teaching from Galatians. It is the most practical thing you've heard because it has everything to do, Paul will say, with whether you can walk in joy and peace and grace or in misery. That's why so many of us, we've walked back through the gates, and our religion is a misery and not a blessing. And so today, if you have never accepted the gospel of grace, today I challenge you to do that. It really is this good. And if you've accepted the gospel of grace, and you remember those moments where you felt free... and alive, and full of joy, but you've lost it somewhere, could we pray for you this morning that you'll get back out of those gates and understand freedom doesn't come from work. It still comes from grace. Even if you've been a Christian 10, 20, 30, 50 years, it's still all grace. Don't add something to it that will destroy it. So we're going to sing this wonderful song, and if you need to respond publicly, come right now while we stand and sing.